And um, we are taking a break from Revelation. Jake already mentioned this this morning. We're taking, this is what we normally do in the fall when we come to Advent. We don't follow the church calendar very closely. We celebrate the high days, the, the high feasts, you know, Christmas and Easter. But we do take the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and do what churches around the world do. And uh, it's not something we have to do, but we're free to do if we want to. And, uh, and that is to look at why, why did God need to become a man? Uh, I don't want to say why did God have to become a man. He did not have to do what he did. He did not have to redeem us. But if we were going to be redeemed, then why did he become man? And I want to start this, uh, this first Sunday of Advent way back in the Old Testament. And it's fun during Advent if we've been in the New to go back to the Old or if we've been in the Old to, to spend some time in the New. But we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. And uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can look in, uh, in the order of worship there. We're going to take some chunks from the very end of chapter 2 and then some of chapter 3. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 25. Um, I don't know if any of you have recurring dreams dreams that you have more than once, especially bad ones. And uh, I think I've, I've shared my recurring dream, which I, w- I will not go back over right now. But uh, there's, there's a recurring dream I've had more, I guess, earlier in my life, and it's one that, that uh, people all over the world have. In fact, if you ever read something about dreams, this one's almost always mentioned. And by the way, if, if you're visiting, I don't, I don't talk a lot about dreams or like dream interpretation or anything like that. It's not a big priority of our church or anything like that. But uh, it's the dream. You probably already can guess what it is. It's the one where you, you're, you're going somewhere, you're, you're at school or work or shopping or something, and all of a sudden you realize you have no clothes on. And it's, it's crazy. And it's a crazy feeling when you wake up to say, I would never do that. Why did I even get so upset in the dream? I would not go to Walmart naked. I clearly would not do that. But it, it feels so hard. In fact, it, it feels so bad when you have this dream that I wouldn't just call it a weird dream. I would call it a bad dream. It's like a, uh, it's like a nightmare. And, and again, I, I, I don't know about dream interpretation. I, I haven't even studied enough to even know what to, to think about that. But but I think we can say, just as human beings, that dreams are churned up by things going on inside of us. And if, if you've got people across cultural lines, and even across the line of centuries, who talk about having this same dream, it, it means that it's getting at something very human that just that cuts across categories. And uh, it, it's, it's something that I... I it's ancient, is the word I would use. It's getting at something ancient. Now, if, if I may put it this way, that is a dream with theological roots. I think really we would say everything has theological roots, but this is one where it's, it's fairly easy to demonstrate how that is, that it has a, a, a biblical reason for it. And I want to look at this text. As we're going into this text, we're kind of propelling in. Genesis has already started. So... A couple of things to think about. Number one, um, this is coming when God has given to Adam and Eve, they're the only human beings so far, He's just given Eve to Adam. And they live in this world that is unspoiled. Now, it's not all cultivated yet. It's not all uh, beautified yet. 
It has a beauty of its own. But God has said that, that this man and woman are the caretakers of everything. They've been born into paradise. And he says there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one prohibition I have for you is do not eat of that tree. And in light of this paradise, they have the only reason, the only reason that you would eat of that tree would just be for the sake of disobeying, to just flagrantly not do what you were told to do. Okay, that, the second thing is this, is that in chapter 3, in this famous temptation from the serpent to Adam and Eve, the way he frames the temptation is this. The reason God said not to eat of that tree is he knows that if you eat of it, that your eyes will be opened. It's very important that he puts it that way. God knows, he's holding out on you, he knows that if you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we've come together in Jesus' name and, and we've, uh, we've sung and we've confessed sin and we've spoken Scripture, we've heard things from you, uh, Lord, not, uh, there, there are no two people in this room who feel exactly the same about it or think exactly the same about it. And, and all of us could talk about that we've got these obstacles between what you are saying and us really hearing and taking it to heart. And it may be intellectual objections. It may be because there has been a a church in our lives that burned us and it's hard to get over. Or it could be because we are tired and worn out and we're not excited about any of this. And we would all say that we need help. So, Lord, please help us to hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the delightful things when, someone, when, when you hear somebody that's really a good teacher is when they say something about something you thought you knew about and they make something that should have been obvious jump out at you. And, uh, and that's how good preaching is. When maybe a passage that you've read before, been exposed to, and somebody just states something obvious and you think, I've never thought about it that way before and, and I'll never look at it the same way again. Now, I, not everyone here is church. We've got the spectrum in here as far as backgrounds, but I, I grew up in the church, 
and, you know, taught the Bible stories and picture Bibles and all that kind of stuff. And I thought I'd heard about everything you could say about Adam and Eve. And just recently I heard somebody speaking about Adam and Eve, and they said this. And, you know, they weren't trying to be unnecessarily provocative, and I'm not either. But he said, do you realize that the first human words recorded in Scripture are a naked man looking at a naked woman? Uh, Welcome to church this morning, by the way. Uh, Welcome to worship. But it's true. It's the first human words recorded are are when God crafts Eve and brings her to Adam, and he he responds. And he has talked. He's been naming the animals and all that and, you know, talking to God, I would assume. But uh, but he he just... loves her at first sight and just bur- but I'd never heard it put that way is that an unclothed man looking at his unclothed wife and just singing and celebrating her is how speech human speech begins in the bible and I would even zoom the camera out a little bit and say that again not trying to be unnecessarily awkward but there's a theme early on in the bible in genesis about nakedness. And that's one of the ways that Scripture emphasizes a term or a theme is just repetition. And what I want to look at is how naked people uh, clothe themselves. Because the way the Bible starts out is with two who are unclothed. And I want to look at it this way. The clothing that, that they made, and we could really say the clothing that we make, and the clothing that God made. All right, the clothing that we make or that they made, <clears throat> the clothing that God makes. I, I, I want you just to look through how this is, this is being set up <clears throat> in the book of Genesis. First off, at the end of chapter 2, at the first marriage, at the first... Uh, really, we could say the theological foundation for when a, a dad uh, leads his daughter to a groom is, is God bringing... Eve to Adam, because she has no she has no dad, except for God. And when he sees her, he just you know he he celebrates, he, he delights. And then it, when it just kind of brings that part of the narrative to to a, to a close, it says the man and his wife were both naked. It, it doesn't have to say that, but it does. The man and his wife were both naked, and what were not ashamed. And when Moses writes that, he's wanting you to see the first and for you to realize, unlike our experience, they're uncovered and there's no shame, right? Now, then what happens? Um, The serpent tempts them, says, if you eat of that tree, God knows what's going to happen. He's holding out on you. Your eyes will be open. And Moses writes this very deliberately. It says they do eat and their eyes were opened. Now, what is the first thing that they see with their newly opened eyes? Is it the mysteries of the universe? the first thing they see and realize is that we have no clothes on. The first thing that comes to mind. So what do they do? All right, let's look again at verse 7. The eyes of both were opened. So Satan was, as he's prone to do, kind of telling the truth. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, again, not being unnecessarily awkward here, but I want you to think about the term loincloths. In the King James, it says aprons. Um, the coverings they made did not cover all of them. 
uh, if we can say it this way, loincloths aren't to cover my face. They aren't to cover my hands. Why not? They're covering the parts of them that make them feel the most exposed, uh, vulnerable. What made them automatically, instantaneously, instantaneously feel embarrassed, that's what it covers. They instinctively did that. And I want you to think about this. When did they make those? Okay. Look, look at the end of verse 7 again, and then look at the next verse. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and subsequently they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, do you realize what that means? They didn't make the loincloths when they heard God coming. They made the loincloths when they're standing there with one another. And that is a heartbreaker. That here is this couple that were the paragon, I don't know where to start, of human love, of human connection. They knew unfallen, unspoiled romance. Spouses, best friends, lovers, uh, fellow artisans of this garden total human connection and immediately it's broken. And it's not initially that they're embarrassed before God. They are embarrassed in front of each other. But then God does show up. And when God shows up to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, He knows that He doesn't see Adam and Eve where they normally would be. And He calls out to them. And this is another sermon, but we could call this really the first evangelistic question. Because God doesn't ask questions to learn. God asks people questions so that they can hear themselves answering and think about what they're doing or saying. Where are you? What's the answer? Look in verse 10. Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And just let that wash over you for just a second. Because whatever connection they had with each other wasn't the ultimate in connection they had experienced. The ultimate in connection, in communion, was what they had with God. And just let that wash over you, that first phrase. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Um, My first year in seminary... I got the flu for the first time in my life. And if you've never had the flu, let me tell you something about the flu. People who haven't had the flu, when you ask them, have you ever had the flu, will say things like, I think I have. Okay, if you've ever said that, you've never had the flu. (laughs) Because I had said that up to my first year in seminary. I think I've had the flu. I think I've had... When I had the flu, there was no question. This is not the flu. This is death. It is a whole different category than the worst cold you've ever had. If you've had the flu, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I had the flu laid out. And uh, when, finally, when I was on the mend, I mean, I'd been out of commission for several days. Phone rings in, our, uh, in the, my, my apartment, and I pick up the phone, hello. And without even identifying herself, this woman just launches into me, how am I supposed to take care of you if I don't know you're sick? Why didn't you tell me that you had... And it was my pastor's wife. 
And this is very much like her. I mean, she didn't even like pause to breathe or even say, hey, this is... She just lit into me to say, if you are sick, you're in this different city, you don't have family, you are supposed to call me and you know you can call me so I can take care of you. And really, actually, it was extremely endearing. And some of you have had people like that in your life, right? It may have been, um, I mean, ideally it was a parent. But maybe it wasn't a parent. Maybe it was another relative um, or some kind of a mentor or an older friend. Just somebody who, who just had the love for you and the resources to help you and the inclination to do that who just said, hey, look, if you ever need anything, I mean it. I'm not just doing the southern version of that. I mean it. If you ever need anything, I want you to find me and I want to help you out. I'll do whatever I can for you. God is the ultimate. If I may put it this way, God is the ultimate mentor like that. And no one had seen that more unfiltered than Adam and Eve. That I give you myself. I give you each other. I give you this unspoiled earth and I give you this garden and I want you to cultivate it and let it grow and expand till the whole world is the garden, like a temple to me. And you'll be in charge of it because I love you and I'll walk with you in the garden because I enjoy you. Think about this. When God said, where are you? Did Adam say, like step out, I was behind this cedar tree And I failed, and I'm embarrassed, and I didn't know what to do. Help me, because he could have. Every cue God had sent had underscored the fact that he could have said that. But what was the instinct? I heard you, and I hid. And that's not really an answer. Where are you? I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now... what, look, look, verse, uh, verse 20. Why is that verse there? The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I mean, one thing is this is telling us in historic narrative the human race had an original set of parents. All humanity came from Adam and Eve. But in light of what we've just heard, what is that underscoring? It's underscoring this, is that what became a change of nature for Adam and Eve is the nature that we show up with. It's the nature that you and I showed up with. Every person in this room, we have this. That when I, when I see what to me is most embarrassing, what is most vulnerable, what makes me feel like a failure, what I'm ashamed of, my instinct is to cover myself, not go to God and say, you have given me every reason to show that you'll do you'll help me, you'll have mercy on me, is I will clothe myself and I will hide. That's the nature that we showed up with. That's the effect of shame. Sin didn't just introduce guilt into the world. It did that. And I don't mean just guilt feelings, not just subjective, but objective guilt entered the world. But shame entered the world. That was a change for them It is instinctive to us. Uh, How do we cover ourselves? Uh, Where do you begin? 
you can cover yourself with, I think this is a biggie in our circles, with uh, competence. Look how responsible I am. Look how hard I work. Look at my skill set. Look how when people give me a project, look how I get it done. Do you see how I'm not a doofus? Or, you know, it can be intellectual competence. You know, I am abreast of what's going on in pop culture. And I'm abreast of what's going on in the world theologically. And I'm abreast of, you know, grown-up books and movements of thought. I'm a bright person. Do you see how I'm not dumb? And here's the thing. None of those things that we're using to cover ourselves are inherently bad any more than leaves are inherently bad. Leaves are good. Leaves are part of God's creation. It's taking the good thing in creation and saying, I'm going to try to get this to do what only God could help me with. You know, you can cover yourself with social media. Is social media inherently bad? No. But look, look, look how much fun we're having there. Look how I look there. Look how I'm smiling there. Do you see how happy we are there? Look at all the exclamation points. Can you see that I'm not boring? Uh, if, you, if you're a parent, you can cover yourself with a child. Look at how she's doing. We're so proud of her. Look at how he's doing. Look at what he got into. Look at the award he received. Are those things inherently bad? No. But what are we saying? Look at how I'm not embarrassing. I'm not embarrassing. And it makes you think of the Shakespeare line about me thinks he protesteth too loudly. Why are we banging our fist on the table of life saying, Look how I matter. Look how I'm not dumb. It's because we feel like we don't matter and we are dumb because we feel exposed. By the way, back to the social media one, it, you know, I thought about, is that, a, is that, am I overreaching to say that? And I thought about, you know what, how have I felt when I've put something, let's say on Facebook, that I thought was cool or neat, or people like that picture, and no one says anything about it? No one likes it. No one notices it. And uh, I'm not a blogger, but some of you have blogs. Like, what if, what if I really put my heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears into something I'm thinking about or something that I've observed Zero comments. Zero comments. Zero comments. And we feel naked. We can cover ourselves with work. We can cover ourselves with friends. And the irony is we can cover ourselves with having no friends. So that way I manage perceptions and no one knows what a disappointment I am. That's the clothing we make. Bad news. Uh, There is the clothing God makes. Good news. Where's the clothing that God makes? Look in verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And the word here for garments, I don't know what your mental picture is. If, if you've seen children's illustrated kind of story Bibles, is probably caveman clothes. 
And I, I don't know how, I'm not trying to be funny with it. Just like, you know, the one strap for him and there's the two strap for her and kind of Flintstones clothes. The, the word that's used there for garments is actually used by Moses elsewhere in the books of Moses for the robes of the priests. And so picture um, skins, garments of skins that are really more like robes, sleeves, up to the neck, robes to the feet. They're covered now. Because what does God know? So here's the thing. They don't have experience living in a fallen world. That's all we have experience with. But all they've known is paradise. All they've known is an earth that works with you and is friendly to you. But they are about to step into a world that God has said, I have now cursed because of Adam's disobedience. And because it's cursed, it's going to lean into you and it's going to resist you. If you go out there with just a covering of leaves, it's going to be insufficient. And we look at that and go, wow, how, did, how could you work outside all the time and not know that? We do the same thing. So what? I'm going to have a covering so that nobody knows what a doofus I am by working all the time. I'm going to, I'm going to return emails fast. I'm going to return calls fast. I'm going to put in more hours than any of my peers. Do you think that is really sufficient for a fallen world? Is that going to cover you when your friend dies? Is that going to cover you when you experience tragedy? No. It's insufficient. And look, this is a level playing field. We all do this. This is our nature. And God sees they will not make it in that covering. And so God makes garments for them. Now, some people have looked at that text and said, Aha, that must be the first sacrifice in the Bible. Because sin has entered the world and... I mean. To state the obvious, to make garments of skin, animals have to be killed, right? So that was the first sacrifice. But there's a problem with that. When you talk about animals sacrificed in the service of God, there's a whole vocabulary that goes with that. None of those terms are there. And when Moses wrote this, he knew those terms. They're all through his books. None of them appear there. But what can we say? Well, let's step back from it and think about it. When he kills those, I don't know, two animals, four, six, we don't know how many, to make those garments, what do we know? Here are some things we know. Is that the innocent were killed to provide for the guilty. The innocent were slaughtered so that the guilty might keep living. Uh, the, the animals did not sin. The innocent literally, at the, at the cost of their lives, were uncovered that the guilty might be covered. And even though we're saying this is not a worship sacrifice, we can say this, that for God to make that provision on the heels of the entrance of sin and guilt into the world, blood was immediately shed. What is that pointing us to? And what jumped off the page at me, and it's funny, we've already referred to this more than once. If you're visiting, as I said, we've been studying through the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And at the beginning of Revelation, there's a group of seven letters to seven local churches. And Jesus speaks very directly to these local churches, their situations. And we only looked at one of those in a sermon. We looked at the last one to a local church in Laodicea. 
And it was a wealthy church. And when Jesus talked to that church, he says to them, "You get this, these are part of the wealth of Laodicea was clothing and wool. And he says to those people, you are naked. You don't think you are. You think you have everything. But you are naked and blind and poor and pitiable. So what is the answer? This is the beautiful thing. Jesus says, I counsel you. What a great way to put it. I counsel you, I who have all wisdom, to buy from me gold that you might be rich. Of course, he just said, you don't have any money. I'll give you the currency to buy the gold so you'll be rich. And then he says this, and to buy from me white garments to clothe yourself, quote, to cover the shame of your nakedness. That Jesus even says things like that to people who are in the church. Come to me and let me clothe you in the white garments that you cannot make for yourself. Why is, besides the fact that he's God, why is he in such a unique position to say that and to offer that? Because he is the ultimate demonstration of the innocent who got killed so that the guilty would be all right. That on the cross, physically, he is uncovered. There's an ancient church father that talked about, you want to know why the sun got dark that day at Calvary? Do you want to know why the sun hit its face? It could not bear to look at its maker unclothed. But he's unclothed so that guilty people who go to Him, who follow His counsel, can have garments that He gives us to cover our nakedness. Literal cloth, no. No, it's garments that He gives you to cover up that part of me that feels so embarrassed and wicked and ashamed and vulnerable so that I'm covering it up with all this stuff that's not working. It's the Lord Jesus that can give you those garments. And let me say this. You may be here this morning and you're not a Christian. And here's what I would just ask you. You, I don't know you, probably. But I know this. You get what I'm saying about vulnerability. You get what we're talking about, of feeling exposed. But are the strategies that you're using, are they really making you feel covered? Are they? Especially when you fail? Because Jesus is the Savior who is coming to people like us saying, I can cover you. You cannot cover yourself, but I can cover you. I was innocent, and I let my blood be shed so that you'll live. I want you to live. If you are someone who believes this, again, we forget it all the time. Jesus said what he did to the church in Laodicea. But... Can I just ask this question? What if this became so real to us? What if we began to feel so covered that it actually changed our behavior? That maybe someone who struggles at being a people pleaser could actually begin, not in a mean way, but in a healthy way, to say no sometimes.
and to have boundaries because I'm not going to cover myself with the approval of others. I am covered in the garments that Christ gave me. That can change how you act. You know, when I saw the, the, this last James Bond movie, I thought, I think if I had a $3,000 Tom Ford suit tailored to me, I think I would walk like that too. I think I would feel, I think I would feel different. You know? I mean, clothes can affect how you feel, but the real clothes that can affect how you feel are the ones of the heart. And if this is hard for us to believe, let's go to Him with our unbelief and say, maybe I'm just now hearing this, maybe I've been hearing this for 20 years. Make it real to me that your clothing is the answer to my nakedness that it's the answer to the ways that I'm trying to have value on my terms. Give me garments. Um, Let me end with this. There's a a Christian name from church history that you'll hear sometime. It's not as much from the Presbyterian tradition, but we sing um, at least one of his songs. It's an Austrian man named Nicholas von Zinzendorf. And if you hear him uh, referred to in history, usually he's referred to as Count von Zinzendorf, which sounds like he would have like a monocle and some kind of thing across him. But uh, Count von Zinzendorf was actually born into Austrian nobility, born with money, born with a name, born with prestige, not somebody who had to worry about um, public perception. Or to put it another way, he was the kind of guy that was born into a family and with a name and with means where he could walk into almost any room in the Austrian realm and hold his head up high because of his connections. But he was a Christian. And he got what we're talking about. And he he wrote a song about Jesus. And of all the ways to just describe what Jesus is like, I'll end with this. Here's how he describes how he loves Jesus. Could have used the the shepherd image uh, or the brother image, uh, but here's the way he put it. Austrian nobility. Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Amidst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. And honestly, if you believe in Jesus and you know that you're covered, you will experience God being the lifter of your head. That is true. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, here here we are, a congregation of men and women, children, and it's, it is just our instinct to cover what we're embarrassed about. And even this past week, we have covered it with our attainments. We have covered it by trying to be sharp. We have covered it by trying to be competent. We have covered it with sarcasm. Have mercy on us. And we pray that, oh, Lord God, you who from the beginning, you've shown yourself how good and compassionate you are. You covered a man and woman about to go out into the fallen world. Lord, we come to you and say, have mercy on us. 
Keep us from hiding. Let us look to the Lord Jesus and be clothed with the clothes that only He can give. We pray this in His name. Amen.